0: will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today I have a very special guest again on the program, Mark Gober. I think this is the third time Mark's been on the show, and lo and behold, he has come out with a new book, An End to Upside-Down Contact. And I literally could not put this book down. It was just amazing. Mark is the author of of An End to Upside-Down Thinking, 2018, which was awarded the IPPY Award for Best Science Book of 2019. He is also the author of An End to Upside-Down Living, and an end to Upside Down Liberty, and is the host of the podcast, Where Is By Mind. Previously, Gober was a partner at Sherpa Technology Group in Silicon Valley and worked as investment banking anal- analyst in New York. He has been named one of I Am Strategy 300, the world's leading intellectual property strategists. Gober graduated magna cum laude, from Princeton University and was elected a captain of Princeton's Division I tennis team. Welcome back to the program, Mark.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I didn't realize that you wrote An Upside Down and Into Upside Down Liberty, so I gonna have to run out and get that book. <laughs> so, wow, there was so much information in this book. So first of all, why, I mean, I know you got interested in this partly because of the information in all of your books, which I, I suggest to the listeners to go back and listen to Mark's other interviews. Um, but really what grabbed you about it was that you started believing after all the research you that you did.
1: Well, it's really hard for me to explain why I get grabbed by the things that I do. Mm. I have tried to deconstruct that myself. And it's hard to explain because at certain times in this research journey, which for me started in 2016, when I had this, if you want to call it an intellectual spiritual awakening coming across podcasts and scientific papers that totally challenged my previously materialistic worldview where I thought life was meaningless and there was no spiritual dimension to reality, no life after death, no consciousness after death. Uh, So I had a very dramatic worldview change at that point. And since then, I've just been interested in all sorts of things. Um, But even early in that 2016 era, when I was focused mostly on consciousness and the brain and psychic abilities and that sort of thing, and the scientific evidence, I came across a lot of research that talked about contact with non-human intelligence, whether in the form of psychic phenomena or even in the form of otherworldly spiritual dimensions or even other planets like extraterrestrial. So it's been on my radar for a long time, but I don't know what exactly made me go into this right now, because I, I had finished my book An end to upside down Liberty, which came out in end of September, early October of uh, 2021. Mm. So I was just finishing that. And then this new book and end to upside down contact was published in June of 2022. <laughs> There's not that much time in between the two. No. And, um, it was a few months after the the Liberty book came out. I, I'm always listening to podcasts and reading books. And it's like I listen to one thing that it's like a thread that I pull. And then I realize there's a whole bunch of information that I hadn't come across. And then the next thing I know, I'm, I'm developing a framework for some new idea.
0: Right. So that's
1: the best answer I can give. I don't know why. Contact now.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, Can you think of one podcast that kind of grabbed you? Or I'm just curious because I'm so interested in this also.
1: Yes. Well, the work of John Mack, who I reference often in the book, he was a Harvard head of psychiatry at Harvard who studied alien abductions. And I had come across his work before, but got pulled into looking into that a little more deeply. So that was one of the things that really got me interested to look at his work, but then also the work surrounding that. And actually there was a podcast I listened to probably, I don't know, maybe it was in January of 2022 that was on a topic that I didn't cover much in the book because it's very difficult to prove, but it's the notion of a secret space program Yes. People claiming that they have, I don't know if it's real or not, but uh, people have some pretty outlandish claims about their experiences off planet. And it's just a mind expanding topic to think about where people claim that they were taken off planet for 20 years and their memory was wiped and it's difficult to prove, but I hear things like that. And it it might pull me into other areas that are more, Uh, that have more credibility in terms of actual tangible evidence. Some of those other things that don't have as much evidence, they could be true. I just can't really prove it very well. So I, I do remember one of those interviews that I heard that just brought up all sorts of topics that I did end up covering in my book. And it's like one thing leads to the next. I might listen to another podcast and then listen to a whole bunch of others by a certain podcast host that covers the topic of UFOs. Like there's a podcast called the Alien UFO Podcast, one called uh, Expanding Reality Podcast, another called Skeptico Podcast that cover many topics, but they also talk about the contact phenomenon, you know, human interactions with non-human intelligence. So I would say it was that combination combined with, you know, all the many books that I start to read. And and then I I can't even remember where the threads lead at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Gaia, when... I, I've listened to some of the interviews on there that David Adair, he's, he's an interesting fellow. I'm sure you've heard about him, but anyway. So let's start kind of at the be- beginning of the book when you talk about shattering consensus reality. Can you elaborate a little bit? And also t- why do you think it's so hard for humans to believe that there are other beings in like this huge universe?
1: What I find is that people, including myself, tend to be biased naturally by the things they've directly experienced. And then secondarily, they're biased by what they've learned, whether it's through the media or through the education system. So if you haven't gone outside of your own personal experience or the mainstream consensus in the media or education, these topics will seem completely insane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it takes... It takes a lot of conscious effort to go outside of that mainstream consensus. You have to actively do it unless you have a personal experience. That's a little bit different because then it becomes undeniable for many people. But for someone like me who hasn't had one of those direct experiences, like I haven't encountered an alien, at least not that I remember, uh, I've had to really push myself mentally and intellectually to research other things and remind myself, Mark, you've had a very limited life relative to the entire spectrum of experiences in the universe, not only on this planet, but in potentially other dimensions, other places in the universe outside of earth. So, but that takes a lot of effort to do, to go through that process. So I think that's the root of a lot of this is we're, we're really conditioned as a society. And this has been a theme in all of my books, even going back to what I was talking about in my first book with consciousness, we're conditioned to believe certain things about our existence and life after death and psychic abilities and without a direct personal experience, it takes a lot of effort and time and energy, which a lot of people might not have because they're busy with other things. And secondly, some people I found are simply not willing to have a worldview shift. They don't want to do it. And I often reference a conversation I had with a friend, classically trained, extremely intelligent. This was back around the time of my first book. when I was talking to him about evidence that I was coming across psychic phenomena are real. Consciousness survives bodily death. And he was, when I was presenting the evidence to him, he said, Mark, you might be right about this. You're probably right, but my life is, is good and I don't want to rock the boat. So I'm not going to even go there. And that story I think is emblematic of how a lot of people think. They might not put it in those terms and it might be subconscious, but there's like this wall because it would be too jarring to accept the reality of these things that we don't ordinarily experience. And therefore many people shut
0: off. Right, interesting. So let's talk about Jack, Jack John John Mack. Can you tell us his his story? I think that's a great place to start.
1: So he is a he passed away in 2004. He was a Pulitzer Prize winner, head of the psychiatry department at Harvard. Basically, you can't be any more credible than that. <laughs> and he wrote two books about alien abductions. The first of which is called Abduction written in 1994, and the second is called Passport to the Cosmos, I believe published in 1999. He came across the work of Bud Hopkins, who is famous for having studied people claiming to have had alien abduction experiences. And it was a colleague that said, you really should talk to Bud Hopkins because he's encountering these people. And they seem to have very real experiences where they're taken Aboard an alien spacecraft by alien beings, sometimes described as gray aliens and even even other species. And they have all kinds of procedures done to them. You should talk to this guy, Bud Hopkins. So at the time, as the story goes, John Mack was not even thinking about these sorts of topics, but he began to evaluate people who claimed to have these experiences. And what he found was that they were not psychotic and they weren't doing this just to try to get attention. Which in many cases, people who speak about these topics from firsthand experience, they're ridiculed. People will say you're crazy. So it's not like this is the sort of thing where you could make a career out of it. I mean, maybe some could, but in most cases, people will call you crazy. So he was evaluating all these factors and concluded that something was going on. And it was not it was not a typical psychiatric condition that he was accustomed to seeing with someone who had a real mental illness. So his book, Abduction it's written like what you'd expect from a scientist it's case study after case study in addition to frameworks for how these abduction phenomena could be real but he goes through people goes through the experiences of people that he actually worked with one-on-one where he would they would present their story and then he would use a technique called hypnotic regression which is often used to bring people back to past lives and many people would say it's not fully credible and even like Dr. Ian Stevenson from the University of Virginia, who studied children with past life memories. There are over 2,500 cases studied. He was very skeptical of hypnosis, but admitted in one of his books that there were some cases of hypnosis that he could not explain, where information came forth that could not be explained as the hypnotherapist implanting ideas or leading the person. So the, the point here I wanna make is that maybe it's not a perfect method, but there's information that seems to be unlocked through the hypnosis process that John Mack was using among others like Bud Hopkins. So he would use hypnosis and then these memories would be unlocked. Sometimes the person would have a memory before the hypnosis and it would be maybe less granular or even sometimes a bit distorted relative to what came out under hypnosis. And he goes through case by case in very granular detail of what these people were saying to him. And what's remarkable is that there are many overlaps in what the people report like bizarre details of like sperm being extracted or eggs being taken from women, uh, artificial insemination, very specific things like ha- being operated on um, that. It, it reminds me a bit of the near-death experience. Yes. And there, this comparison has been made where you have the anecdotes that sound totally supernatural and like out of a sci-fi movie in the near-death experience. People are encountering spiritual beings. Sometimes they see things, outside their body, which upon being resuscitated is validated as accurate. Bizarre things. But when you look at all the the case studies in the aggregate, there are remarkable similarities, even among children, both with the UFO abduction phenomenon and near-death experiences. So it starts to chip away at the rational mind that wants to dismiss this stuff. And I think that's what happened to John Mack, as he was unable to dismiss these independent accounts, people that were completely separate from each other, different walks of life and professions, coming up with very similar stories, including children. And his whole life apparently changed. Um, Interestingly, in his books, he also challenges some of the same things that I've looked at around consciousness, the idea that we live in a spiritual reality. It forced him to reconsider all of his assumptions about reality. And he he got into apparently at the end of his life, looking at life after death and these other phenomena, which all seem to be interrelated, even though they're distinct in, in terms of the description, they're interrelated.
0: Yes, that makes sense to me because when you talked in your book about, about being, I guess I'll say fearful of coming out, that's so much like the near-death experience. And of course, for the near-death experience, you have those experiences where people come back and they share information like they saw someone on the other side and they didn't even know that person had passed until they came back. And I'm sure that there are examples like that with the alien abduction and UFOs and, and, you know, those kinds of stories that kind of really blow your mind. Um, So, um, John Mack, um, what what are some of the characteristics that are similar in in alien abductions that he found and that you found?
1: Well, the, the reproductive aspect that I mentioned, that was a common theme and it also often included what people describe as a hybridization program, yes. meaning that these intelligent beings, whoever they are seem to be creating a hybrid species that has some human DNA and some alien DNA. And that was often reported. Sometimes the person who was giving the genetics through their reproductive uh, organs or material that had been extracted. um, They they even encountered that hybrid being like comforted Mm -hmm. that being and actually saw it on the craft, but also saw many other hybrid beings. So this sounds insane, but it's like (laughs) when you hear it over and over again, the same things. How is this happening? Another thing that comes up, which is very difficult to explain is, it's known as phantom pregnancies, where a, a woman will become pregnant, but cannot correlate the pregnancy with any sexual activity, including women who are lesbians and don't have any male partners. And they have a pregnancy that they can't explain and then it goes away, disappears. And the, the theory is that it's, it was in some kind of insemination and then the hybrid being was taken. Um, And this gets to one of the other common themes in abductions, which is the wiping of the memory. It's called missing time, where they might have memories on either side of the event, but a big chunk of time will be missing. So they'll come back to it and it's a few hours later and they don't know what happened. Sometimes the memories are completely gone until there's a hypnosis session that helps them bring the memories back. But, this makes the phenomenon even more difficult to wrap our heads around because it implies there are things happening beyond what our conscious memory tells us has happened to us. And it's actually a topic that I covered in my previous books, the notion of amnesia, that we might've had past lives that we don't remember. But in, in the case of cases of children with past life memories, the memories are not as obscured for some reason. They have more access. So you have two, three, four, year, five-year-olds, remembering the past life and then the memories seem to fade. Many of us don't have the memories at all. So it raises a real question about the nature of experience itself, like very basic questions of how do we know anything? <laughs> at one level, <laughs> one level, we the only thing that we know is the, the fact that we have an experience right now. It feels like we're conscious at this very moment and that's the only thing that we can be certain of. Everything else, including the past and the future, those are thoughts that we have that occur in the present moment. They might be very compelling thoughts, especially the past and a memory that we have and say that really happened, but it's just something that we know in the present moment, we can't actually validate it ever because everything that we could use to validate it is experienced in the present moment. So when we look at that, it, it might make us more skeptical of what we are so sure of, and that opens the door to all sorts of things. What's happening beyond our conscious memory in other dimensions of consciousness, even that we just can't access. And that's one of the things that John Mack was, has been tapping into and many other researchers as well, because there's there seems to be a dimension of experience that we're only getting a glimpse of through some of these experiences, and maybe some people have it. It could be the case that many of us have had similar experiences, and we simply don't remember it.
0: So interesting. Yes, I read um, a, a quote from, well, it's paraphrased from your book. John Mack acknowledged acknowledge the existence of a hybridization program in a kind of evolutionary insurance program, the creating of a new breed that preserves the best of both species, a form of life that can survive in case we, we cause the earth to no longer be able to support human life. He also viewed this abduction phenomenon as having a shocking reality quality that creates a potentially rapid transformative power to potentially be one of the most powerful agents of spiritual growth, personal transformation, and expanded awareness that is now affecting people on this earth. So... What does all that that mean? What's going on? (laughs) Well,
1: I really don't know. (laughs) There are lots of theories. Like why why would this hybridization program be happening? Let's say it's true that people are being literally abducted. I should go back one step. Is that the abduction seems to have both physical and non-physical elements where people are having the experience in their consciousness, but their body doesn't move. This is something that John Mack saw and also is experienced on the psychedelic DMT. There were studies done by Rick Strassman at the University of New Mexico, where he wasn't wasn't even looking for this sort of thing. But when he gave people this concentrated psychedelic, they entered other dimensions and had an alien abduction experience, meaning the same thing that other people experience without the psychedelic DMT. He didn't know about abductions at the time. So that was a pretty mind blowing idea that basically Mm -hmm our consciousness could go to some other dimension and have an experience. But then there are also physical cases where the person is like a phantom pregnancy. They might have scars or birthmarks. They might appear above their bed covers, whereas they went to bed under the covers and don't have a memory of the change. So there are things happening physically as well. but it raises all kinds of questions. What is this physical? Is it not physical? And then the other question, which is what I think you were getting at is, right. is this, is this a, a good thing for Earth or is it a bad thing? And there are theories on both sides. And some would say that this is like an evolutionary insurance program. These are higher beings who are helping us by creating a hybrid species to continue the genetics in case we blow ourselves up or something like that. There has been talk about actually seeding other planets. People have reported that, that that's what the hybridization program is about is there are other planets in the universe and these hybrid beings will be basically dropped on the planets to inhabit them. And they need to have our genetics for that. Often people report extreme spiritual awakenings so that's something else that could be involved in our, our positive evolution. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring from the University of Connecticut, who was famous for studying near-death experiences, he wrote a book called The Omega Project, 1992, where he compared what happened to people after near-death experiences and UFO-related experiences, like an abduction, and found that while the experiences themselves had, had differences the results in terms of the way the people were impacted had, there were lots of similarities. So, in a near death experience, the person might have. Uh, they might become much less materialistic. They might change their job, get divorced because their values have changed so much. They experience the oneness and unconditional love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the case of UFO encounters, like an alien abduction, the, the person might have a traumatic event where it seems on the surface to be very traumatic because they were taken against their will and they were operated on and they were brought back in their bed. And you know that wasn't something they consented to that they can remember at least. Although some people would say they consented before birth, which is a separate topic, but but it's very traumatic. However, the profound nature of the experience can cause such a mental and psychological shift that they have essentially a spiritual awakening. Even what Kenneth Ring finds is that that people become more spiritual, actually not more religious, but more spiritual following both near-death experiences and these UFO encounters. And they even have kundalini type awakenings. So there's something that seems to be activated from the UFO encounters, despite the traumatic aspects, which is in some ways also similar to a near-death experience, because that's traumatic too. You almost die in those cases, and you happen to be resuscitated. (laughs) You're clinically dead many times. So that's the... um, some of the more positive aspects that it's evolution. It's helping to maybe preserve genetics, but also it's evolutionary. It's helping people to wake up in some capacity. And there are even miracle healings that occur. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there are other theories and this comes primarily from Dr. David Jacobs at Temple university who like John Mack and they were colleagues. Um, he took people under hypnosis and was evaluating what they came back with. Now he's John Mack passed away in 2004. So David Jacobs, most recent book was 2015, I believe. It's called Walking Among Us, where he was he saw changes in what people described from their abduction experiences. And he also talked about this hybridization program. And when I say he talked about the people that he worked with, the, the, his, his subjects, they reported this. But they increasingly were talking about a darker uh, agenda that these alien beings were creating hybrids That would be indistinguishable from human beings but had enhanced mental and telepathic capacities and the ability to mind control people because some of these alien beings apparently have those enhanced capacities but they also lack empathy so by creating the hybridization you would get some of the human aspects but then some of the advanced mental capacities of these alien beings but for the for the purposes of planetary takeover so that's what his books are about that he called them hybrids. Human hybrids that essentially you could you couldn't distinguish them other than this mental difference. And the human beings who were taken in the abductions were actually participating in helping to acclimate these alien or hybrids to understand our culture. So that's what his books are about, as, as wild as it sounds. I don't know what to make of this because you have pretty wildly different interpretations here. And it could be the case that both are true and you have different species of alien beings that have different agendas, some more positive, some more negative, or you never know. Maybe some of it's disinformation or it's not actually true. Or maybe some people have false memories that are being, you know, maybe they're, they don't realize it, but their memories are implanted or they misremember things. Confabulation is the term that's often used. It's very difficult to make sense of this, but I just try to lay out all the theories that people are talking about.
0: Well, isn't what you just said about this hybridization or hybrid, (laughs) um, isn't that what AI is basically? Kind of a robot that has very high mental, academic well, I don't know about academic, but capacities, but has no empathy. It sounds like it's almost the same thing.
1: The, the slight difference that I sense from my research is that these organisms are still biological, the yes, hybrids, yes. whereas AI is typically literally a machine. Right. And there are questions about whether that machine can actually be conscious or if it's just literally like a, like a computer program, where if X happens, then you do Y. Whereas with biological beings, there's this subjectivity that, that, that those AIs may not have.
0: But the empathy is such a huge part of it. You know yes. or, la- or lack thereof, yes, yes,
1: yeah, it is, and it, it raises questions about um, and I talk about this more in my Liberty book the, the psychology of, of psychopaths. It's not one yes. that we most of us can understand, but it's a psycho, it's psychology that's known in mainstream psychology and yeah. psychotherapy where empathy is gone, there's an absence of the capacity for love. So maybe that is an aspect of what some of these beings have, just like on this planet, we have very saintly people, but also some people who do horrible things. It's this uh, lack or absence of unconditional love. That's the way I look at it, mm. that there seems to be an obstruction. So maybe some of these species have an obstruction for whatever reason.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mark, the, these transformations that these um, people have had encounters seem to have, do they talk about them in the same manner the NDEs do in terms of like it was more real than real, and also that the transformation stays, and it's just like yesterday, even though it can be many, many years later?
1: It's A really good question. I've noticed some differences in it, in that I hear more cases where the person was traumatized in some way. Whereas in the NDE, they're in a field of unconditional love. The majority, there are some of the hellish NDEs that are more difficult to pin down. But the majority of the typical NDEs are, they're in a heavenly state. They don't want to come back. Right. There's there's less of that. There are some positive encounters for sure, but people are being operated on against their will. And that's not something that they're necessarily seeking out. Um, So the transformation that they have, it's one that they have to integrate more. That's my sense. And John Mack talked about that, that if people didn't take the time to look at the positive spin on their experience, they could be horribly traumatized right. from the alien encounter. Now, I say it, it's hard to generalize. It's not a monolithic phenomenon because there are beings like beings of light that are encountered who seem to be incredibly benevolent, and they might have a miracle healing that was done in a way that they that was benevolent. Although the darker take, like Dr. David Jacobs, he, he did find that people were healed, but said that that the beings were doing this out of selfish reasons because they wanted to preserve their specimen effectively, not out of anything benevolent. So it's like, how, what do you make of that? Right. Um, But it's like anything in life, especially like the way I looked at it in my second book and end upside down living that we're here to evolve and any experience, even if it involves suffering can be something that we can take to evolve whether pleasant or not pleasant. And it's the way that we ultimately interpret it that will have the net result yes
0: can you give um tell us a story of one of the ailing abductions that just just stands out in your mind
1: sure well two come to mind
0: great <laughs>
1: and um the first one is from carrie mullis who is a nobel prize winner and he encountered what he called a glowing raccoon in the woods And it spoke to him and said, good evening, doctor, something like that. And the next thing he knew, knew it was a few hours later and his flashlight was missing. He had missing time. So he doesn't know what happened in that time period, but it it raises a, a broader phenomenon that I talk about in the book, which is known as screen memory, where the memory might be of not an alien. It might be an owl or a raccoon or a deer, but upon further investigation, like under hypnosis, when the person is being guided to say, "Well, what did you see with that owl?" They might say, "Wait a second, this isn't an owl. This is a gray alien." So it's like these beings somehow have an ability to manipulate consciousness, including wiping out memory. So that that's one story that comes to mind. And along similar lines of this notion of uh, the imperfection of memory, or the mystery of memory, one of the cases that John Mack told in his book Abduction is of uh, a teenage boy who had an abduction experience. He remembered. Uh, being taken on a pod and uh, up in the sky. And John Mack asked the subjects for their memories before hypnosis. And he reported on what they said and then took them under hypnotic journeys and then reported what they said at that time. And there were often discrepancies. And that's why this case really stood out to me, because as a teenage boy, this person recalled what he called an unusually attractive alien. And he remembered having what he thought was a sexual encounter like a voluntary sexual encounter with this alien. But upon being hypnotized, what he described was like the typical abduction phenomenon where he was in the surgery room and it it, it seemed like sperm was extracted through machinery. So it was not as he remembered without hypnosis, which again raises all sorts of questions about memory, but it was fascinating that both there was this discrepancy and what he started to recall under hypnosis was the typical alien abduction experience in terms of, you know, being in this surgery room and having this sperm extraction, uh, which is presumably is part of a hybridization program. And I, I should repeat, this is in a book by the head of psychiatry at Harvard, exactly. which is crazy. Exactly.
0: And the last one was a Nobel prize. Winner. And a
1: Nobel prize winner. That's why I like to mention those two cases. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, well, when I um, went on my ayahuasca retreat we would share our experiences the next day we had i think four and it didn't happen to me but quite a few people in the group um had had surgeries and they actually saw what we think of gray what do you call them gray white gray Gray aliens yes grays um come down and you know do some work on them and some even felt, I wouldn't call it a miracle healing. It wasn't those kinds of things, but they were definitely, you know, better, they stated. But it was interesting. It was very um, transformative for these people. So won't it be interesting with all of the psychedelic research, if this starts coming out more as people, the default node um, no turns off and, And have you, have you seen any of that in your research? I know you mentioned DMT, but what about LSD or psilocybin or anything like that?
1: Well, there seems to be something unique about DMT. There are Mm -hmm. specific DMT entities that that Dr. Rick Strassman talked about that he didn't see in other research, but anecdotally, I have heard from people that have done other psychedelics. They've encountered beings, um, ayahuasca, which is related to DMT because that's the active ingredient. It's a plant brew. So it's not pure DMT. Mm -hmm. People talk about mother ayahuasca, literally guiding them through this process. So there's something going on where the, the psychedelics unlock the filter to these other dimensions of reality. And you're reminding me of something I meant to say earlier about the, the realness of the experience. Yes. Because that's what happens in a near-death experience. People say realer than real. With the UFO encounters, people do think that it's real often, but they talk about a dreamlike state where they felt like it was real and it felt like a dream, but they don't have the language to describe yeah. the dimension they're in. And this might relate to your question about psychedelics, that maybe it is it's very real, but it's a dimension of reality that we can't put our finger on. And it feels dreamlike, but it's real. And it's not this dimension. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. There seem There's like other realms that yes. seem to exist.
0: I felt that way with my experience. That's a good way to put it. Like it seemed dreamlike, but it seemed very, very real. Yeah, it is That human language. It, it can't explain everything. So what, what do you think the implications are of of all of this.
1: Well, they're so massive because if there I are other... I,
0: mean, I don't even feel silly in asking that question. It's like <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, there. It's it's like unimaginable implications if these beings exist and they're interacting with us. That's what I try to focus on in the book. Not just that they exist, but they are interacting. What does that mean about human history? What does that mean about everything that happens in society? Are we being influenced beyond our conscious awareness? And has this been happening historically? Can we look at ancient mythology and even biblical texts from this lens? When people, you know, right. I talked about the book, book of Ezekiel, the famous text where he talked about encountering a fiery chariot and creatures. If we look at these stories, which many would consider to be mythology, maybe they weren't mythology. Maybe they were having transcendent experiences with beings who have been interacting with us for a long time, so it raises questions about how we've been steered in certain directions. Have we been genetically modified? Are we the product of genetic modification? I mean, there's so much we don't know about DNA. It's certainly possible if these beings exist. So it opens the door to 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 us questioning every discipline, history, like you name it. We should be questioning it based on this alternate framework.
0: Do you think that it? Um... The UFO contact. I mean, NDEs always come back to the golden rule, right? Kindness yeah. and love, and this seems to play a little bit differently than than that. But once again, I guess it's who you believe and the different experiences and how they've come back. But you did make a good point. Um, how do you experience and process it that's the important thing
1: right and it also raises the notion that there are beings including human beings that are disconnected from the golden rule they don't act in accordance with that
0: right so they're,
1: right. That they was are
0: nice.
1: yeah so they're not fully they're not fully enlightened if you want to call it that that they're mm-hmm. acting in an unenlightened fashion, which makes sense if you look at a lot of things on our planet. Why wouldn't it be the case that you could have a spectrum of beings in other dimensions or other planets? And while they might be advanced technologically, or they might even have had spiritual awakenings, we we know spiritual teachers who become corrupted, and they they take that learning for power or for other more nefarious purposes. So that could be happening. And then on the other side of it, you have beings that are more enlightened that might be advanced in other dimensions and are following things like the golden rule and are applying it to try to help.
0: Right. Well, that is a good point. Look at the spectrum of the beings on this earthly realm. Why wouldn't it be the same in, you know, in other realms?
1: And wow. I would add to that, Marla, that maybe the spectrum that we see on this planet is a mirroring of these other dimensions that people are are tapping in based on the intentions that they're setting, or maybe even the trauma that they're experiencing, whatever it is into these lighter beings or the darker beings. I mean, if consciousness is, is something that we tap into with our brain and our body, then that's plausible. And it's like, right. which frequency, which, which TV yes. station are we going to tap into?
0: Yes. Yes. So I know chapter nine is called toward a positive future. So can you just, summarize what you talk about in that in that chapter
1: well the way i i ultimately look at this phenomenon to try to make sense of it because at one level it's just it's really interesting just to know more about our reality and i think that's super important because the more we know about our reality the more informed we can be in our decisions in life that's how i've always looked at things whether they're pleasant facts or unpleasant facts for me i want to know about what they are so that's one of the reasons that this phenomenon i think is important But there there can it can be a distraction. It can be like I I often reference the teachings of Dr. David Hawkins, who was a psychiatrist and had many personal awakening experiences. And he often warned his students about the the seduction of glamorous phenomena. So I never met him. He passed away in 2012. I'm sure he would have been very not only skeptical, but cautious about diving too deep into this. Because if you, you dive into it, because of the glamour, because of the coolness of it, oh, wow, this is so cool. Then you could get distracted from your own spiritual development. You can get thrown on some other path, which is a similar critique of psychedelics. If they're not used properly, if it's not about your spiritual development, oh, wow, I'm in these other dimensions. I'm having this otherworldly experience. So that's an important aspect of it is is putting this stuff into context of, of the spiritual journey, which I think is the most important. Things like following the golden rule, uh, discernment. Um, Ken Wilber, the philosopher, he calls it waking up, cleaning up, and growing up, which to me is a good summary
0: <laughs> yes, yes. of what we're doing.
1: And that's the that to me, that's still the compass. But in the same way that if you live in a city, you want to know the good neighborhoods, the bad neighborhoods, you want to know how to na- navigate your surroundings. To me, this is part of understanding our surroundings. And that means understanding that there are some beings that are definitely malevolent and some that seem to be very positive. And the way I look at it is, like we can't control other people's behavior. We can give suggestions. And this is more in my Liberty book about like things, the, the, what I regard to be in alignment with the golden rule is allowing people to make decisions voluntarily. You can offer suggestions to them to say, look, you, if really think you should do this, but allowing people to make their own decisions. Uh, because that's, to me, that's part of the golden rule is, is, letting people be like acting with kindness with them, but not forcing or coercing. And that means there's a lot of personal responsibility with that, that that we have to decide whether we're going to tap into good or we're going to tap into evil, tap into things for selfishness and power. And I tried to conclude the book on that note, which is, yeah, there's all this stuff happening around us. We can't control all of it, but we can do our best individually and we can control where we, we orient our consciousness and some people get into either the really negative mindset, well, they're, they're just going to take over and there's nothing we can do about it, or the really positive mindset, which is they're going to save us, they're saviors, which starts to get into some religious beliefs as well as that there's going to be this figure that comes and takes care of everything for us. And I'm skeptical of that notion because it takes away, it, it, we, start, we start to offload the responsibility and say, well, someone else is going to do yes. it for us. And um, I think it's important to stay on track with our spiritual development—the waking up, the cleaning up, and the growing up, regardless of everything else that's happening.
0: Right. And waking up is so. We. Why is it so hard for humans to live in the present? We're always looking for something to get us out of the present. It seems whether it's kids and video games or you know just the past, the future. And I mean, this is another one of those things getting kind of seducted by all this seduced by all this really interesting. So take it and absorb it, but, but also live your life and be present and just be the best that you can be. It's hard I, to do we, sometimes.
1: And that's, that's, that's the best that we can actually do to try to work on ourselves and then try to be of service certainly, but we can't be of service as well if we haven't done the inner work. And people call this spiritual bypass of saying, well, I just want to focus on these incredible experiences and ignore my own inner darkness or the collective darkness. And it's your question about, well, why is this, why why are we so distracted? And I think our biology plays a big role in that. Our machinery is susceptible to those sorts of things. And we live in, in cultures that where We're we're seduced by all kinds of distractions all the time. That's our upbringing. So it it takes a lot of effort to break out of that mold, going back to our earlier discussion about why this is so difficult to, to even accept because it requires such a different consensus view of reality or a view that's different from the consensus reality. And that means breaking from the mold and being really a rebel. And that can be difficult to do. Our machinery likes conformity and likes to go along with what others are doing. And it takes a certain level of conviction to want to break that mold, even if other people think you're crazy.
0: And Mark Gober, you are a great example.
1: Well, it's something I have to think about a lot, certainly, to write books like this that I know are going to be controversial. I mean, all of them, I know they're going to upset people, but I have to... This goes back more to my second book and end upside down living of setting an intention for our life. Why do we think we exist? And we have to come up with that answer. And I think that we have to move toward the truth. Ultimately, whatever that truth is, whether people like it or not, whether it's comforting or not, yes. because there's a spiritual duty to do that and to do the inner work too, but really to be of service. Part of that, at least in my journey is helping to get to the truth. first for myself. And then I like to share it with people. So because I have that orientation, if I weren't doing these things that I think are being helpful, then I would be a hypocrite and and not acting on the spiritual path that I've laid out for myself. So I have to do it, even if it upsets people. Even
0: even if you don't want to do it, you have to do it. Yes. (laughs) That's
1: great. But I will say that there's always a part of me that is hesitant to write about these things, all four of my books, and even doing interviews and stuff. But then there's this other part of me that overrides it every time.
0: Well, you know what I love about your books? And I think a lot of people in this area of research um, try to do this. It's, It's not as if you're spouting, I mean, it's not like this is what I believe, and this is the way it is. You lay out all the research and let people come to their own conclusions and you show both sides. So kudos to you. You definitely do that. So I think you're, you, I know you're, you're just helping, helping others awaken and it's so important, you know?
1: That's what I hope to do with these books. And I like, I like to provide lots of sources for that very reason to get, because in many ways the books are not my ideas at all. I am synthesizing other people's ideas and trying to find the notions that are compatible or most compatible exactly. with the spiritual realities that are reported that's ultimately what i'm doing and just synthesizing it for people and but the thing is as, as an author like I, I always would like for people to have a positive response or yes. you know or, or open up but i can't control how people are going to take in the information right, so i have to right. let go of that um, but at the very least even when if people disagree with what i say in any of my books my hope is that it opens one's mind to different perspectives that maybe the person hadn't thought of before. And that in itself is effective. Even if the, the person doesn't have a worldview shift, just being exposed to a new way of thinking is can be very impactful.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. And for my listeners, um, please go out and and get this book if you're interested, because it's It's just, it's great. I mean, I just really, really enjoyed it and made me aware of a lot of things that I hadn't really thought of before. So thank you. And if people want to find you, how would they go about doing that?
1: Well, Marla, thank you again for having me and for all the work that you do. my website is a good place to find out more information. It's just my name, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. And all four of my books are available on Amazon in hard copy, Kindle, or Audible. And my podcast is called Where Is My Mind? And that's available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, all the major players. And that's more about the idea of... Uh, that consciousness doesn't come from the brain. So it doesn't get into the UFO stuff as much. That was from 2019, but it's more about psychic abilities and uh, the survival of consciousness after the body dies.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much and have a great evening. And I'm, I'm sure I will. Um, you'll be back on the show talking about your next book, but why don't you take a little break?
1: <laughs> we'll see. I, I really don't know what's next.
0: Okay. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. Thank you.